welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Hi, this is Brian Collins of the Become a Writer Today podcast and welcome to this week's episode. Now, at the time of recording this episode, which was around June 13th, I just finished publishing my new book, This Is Working. Focus on what matters and get the results you deserve. The book explains how you can focus on your work or on your writing and how you can say goodbye to feelings of overwhelm and when you feel distracted. The book will also help you accomplish more in your business. So whether you have a business as a copywriter or a freelancer or a side hustler or at work, and it can also help you accomplish more with your creative projects like writing a book. One of the key things that I learned from publishing this book is the value of an editor. And this is also a lesson that I learned when I was speaking to a recent member of my email list over a coaching call. Basically, I have an editor that edits all of my articles for Forbes, and she was also able to edit this book. And she really turned it into something that's a lot better than what I had originally written or created. But even if you're working with an editor, it's also important that you hire and commission a proofreader. Because you see, the more people that look at your book before you publish it, the better chance you'll stand of creating something that readers love and which you can sell copies of and, of course, earn more money. And of course, that means investing a little bit more in your book upfront. But remember, your book is a product and you really want to create something that you're proud to sell. And of course, you don't want to be getting reviews on Amazon that complain about typos and so on. But of course, if that does happen, you can always fix them and then republish your book. And that's the, one of the beauties of self-publishing. But I really do recommend that you work with both an editor and a proofreader when you're getting ready to publish your book. On that topic, I was recently speaking to a member of my email list over a coaching call, and he was wondering whether he should hire a long-term coach to help him take his book from a first draft to the finish line. And after I dug a little bit deeper, we found out that he'd actually written 80% of his book, but he was just struggling to get to the end. And what this particular person actually needed wasn't a coach who would help him get to the final 100%. It was an editor, and in particular, a development editor, who would help him turn that 80% into 100%. And that's a key thing to remember. Even if your book is not quite finished, you can still get out there and commission an editor because they will work on drafts of your articles and chapters while you can work on finishing your book. And don't forget, editors work quite a bit in advance. So you've got to book them. It's not like you can pick up the phone and say, can you edit my book tomorrow? They'll need time, of course, to edit your book as well. It can take a couple of weeks or even a month or two, depending on the length of your book. So you really need to plan ahead. And planning ahead means considering what to do, even if your book isn't quite finished. Now, on to this week's interview. Ryan Morin is the founder of Capitalism.com, Freedom from the Fast Lane, and the author of an upcoming book, which is coming out in 2020, called 12 Months to 1 Million. It's a nonfiction business book. He's helped over 300 entrepreneurs launch and grow seven-figure businesses on places like Amazon. And he does it by encouraging to ask and answer three simple questions that guides them through the stages of starting and building a business. And in this interview, Morin explains what those three questions are and how every entrepreneur and author can ask and answer them. He also talks about why he's writing his book, even though writing a book isn't necessarily the fastest way to build a seven-figure business. And he reveals what his writing process looks like. Ryan also talks about why he teaches his ideas in different media, from books to podcasts to videos. And finally, he reveals how he manages his time as an author, entrepreneur, and coach. There's a lot he gets into in the interview, but I started by asking Ryan 
about his background and why he set up his business, Capitalism.com. And then we got into his book writing process. Sure. So Capitalism.com is a media property for entrepreneurs. We focus on the two steps to creating wealth, which are build a business and invest the profits. And it's my opinion that individuals and capitalists and entrepreneurs are the single greatest force for change in the world. So our tagline is create the change. And so we focus on building businesses, investing the profits, and helping entrepreneurs create the change that they want to see in their world, whether that is creating financial abundance or that is solving global warming. I'm of the opinion that entrepreneurship through capitalism is the the greatest opportunity for us to, to solve any problem that we want to solve. So we give entrepreneurs the platform, the training grounds, and the network for them to be able to impact the world how they want to impact the world. And we do that through podcasts, uh, video trainings, courses, and conferences, and networking opportunities. And you've written a book as well, Ryan, is that right? I am. I am, yeah. I, I have a book out in May 2020, which is called 12 Months to 1 Million which is the one-year plan to go from no idea to having a seven-figure business. Wow, that sounds like a great book. Uh, so <laughs> I'm Thanks. sure you're still working on it, but would you be able it's, to maybe give a sneak preview of what the book is going to be about, maybe, or what, what some of that plan looks uh, like? Of course. Yeah, of course. So uh, funny you should ask, because my final draft deadline is Monday. So you got me at a great time. So the book is about is made for people who wanted to be entrepreneurs ever since they were kids, people who were kind of born with the itch and never had the predictable plan to build a seven-figure business. I have walked... I actually have YouTube videos and podcasts that have been downloaded well over 10 million times on this topic. And I have, over the, the last five years or so, been personally approached by well over 300 individuals who have said that they found me on the internet, used this plan, and built a seven-figure business. And that's without soliciting. That's just people reaching out to me and saying, you know, your work changed my life. So the book walks them through the three stages of building a million-dollar business. Those three stages tend to be what I call the grind. The grind is like from month zero to month four. This is when you have no idea what you want to sell, no idea what you want your business to be, no idea how you're going to take a sale or build a million-dollar business. And this stage is all about decisions. It is about deciding what your product is going to be. It's deciding how you're going to bring that product to market. And it's deciding who your customer is going to be. And so we get them really, really clear on that within the first couple months. And then in in months three and four, we help them. The book is about uh, making a prototype, bringing that prototype to market, and getting a sale. One sale. If we can get one sale within about four months, we are off to the races. And it's a grind. It is making messy decisions. It is making hard choices all in favor of moving forward and moving the ball closer to the hole, which is getting that first sale. The second stage I call the growth, which tends to be between months five and eight. And our whole goal here is to get our product to at least a consistent 25 sales per day. And I have kind of um, made it famous, the simple math equation, that if you can have three 
to five products selling on average of 25 sales a day at an average price point of about $30, that's a million dollar business. Three to five products, 25 sales a day, and about a $30 price point is a million dollar business. So we have to get that first product to 25 sales a day. And we're going to do that by selling it on amazon.com in most cases, because amazon.com does all of the fulfillment, all of the shipping, most of the customer service, the reviews are easy to get if you have some strategies. And so in this block of time, that month five to eight, we launch the product, we build an audience for the product, we advertise the product, we get reviews for the product until it is at 25 sales a day. And the final third, the months kind of eight through 12, are about repeating the process through products two, three, four, and five. So releasing those next products through the same engine, the same system, until we have three to five products selling 25 sales a day at about a $30 price point. And 12 months to 1 million is the kind of step-by-step plan to walk through those stages. So at the end of the process, you have a seven-figure business that you can either scale or sell for a big payday. And I've had students go in either direction. Sounds like a great idea for a book. I mean, could you give an example of a type of product that people are selling on Amazon using that process? Oh, sure, sure. I have uh, one student. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah's first product was a running straps, like you put your iPhone in it and a running gear, we'll say. And he found my work, hit a million with, uh, within a year or so, and sold that business for a few million dollars at the age of 22 years old. So at the age of 22 years old, if he invests the profits well, he'll never have to work a day in his life. That's a great story, especially for someone who's 22. And, and I'm sure the same process or a similar process, it must apply for somebody creating an information product that they're selling through their own website, for example. Right. Yeah. The only thing that would change if you're selling an information product is where you would sell it. Although you could also sell books on Amazon, which would be an information product all on its own. But yeah, the process would just sub out the place that you would make the transaction. And that would be the only thing that would change. And your students who are following your process that you outlined in your book, are they doing this full-time or is it as a side hustle? Most of the people who find my work start on the side. But my recommendation is that as soon as you prove that you can take consistent sales somewhere in that growth period where you're on your way to 25 sales a day, it's time to go all in. Because if you can prove that a product has life in the marketplace, which is, I think, going to be the the meat of today, if you can prove that, then you have something really special. You have the ability to bring a product to market and make it profitable. And that's when you need to go all in on a business. I'm curious about why you decided to write a book about the topic. Like, like a book is probably not the fastest way to, to build a business. So, so what made you decide to turn what you've learned into a book? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are correct about that one. Um, <laughs> um, to be quite honest with you, when you speak about something publicly for long enough, it is very easy to get pigeonholed into being a certain type of person. So for example, I have built businesses on Amazon for many years. I have a students who have sold millions of dollars on Amazon. I have several students who do over $50 million a year in sales just on Amazon.com alone. To be quite honest with you, I feel that I have said everything that there is to say on the topic of building a business, taking it to seven figures and scaling it or selling it. 
And I'm at the point in my life where I'm very interested in exploring other topics. And so I felt the call to wrap up everything that I know into a very tight step-by-step process that I could give anyone instead of talking about it all of the time, give someone the roadmap to go from no idea to hitting seven figures in their first year. I think it'll be a great book to read. Um, and I find a lot of people who've accomplished something like to teach what they've learned, particularly nonfiction authors. I'm also curious about the three questions that you ask entrepreneurs to reflect on when they're considering their businesses. The first thing that I'm asking them is who is the person behind the product or who is the person behind the purchase? And if their answer starts with the word anyone or anyone who, I know why they're stuck. So in a lot of cases, people will ask me, what's a good product to sell if I want to make money? And it's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, who is the person that you are targeting? For example, if you go into business and you are just absolutely committed to selling CrossFit knee sleeves, you are going to have a hard time. You could be the number one knee sleeve seller in history and you're still going to run into a barrier because there are only so many people buying knee sleeves. But if you tell me that my market is the sport of CrossFit and people who are insanely passionate about the sport of CrossFit, my next question to you is, great, what are the three to five products that that person already buys? And we can look at each other and say, uh, they buy food bars, they buy um, like at-home uh, workout bands, they buy like recovery cream, they buy knee sleeves, they buy, and we can list, they buy RX bars, they go on and on and on down the list. So if we start the question around who the person is, rather than what the product is, or even what the challenge is, we have a higher chance of being able to identify how we create a solution for uh, that specific customer. I think a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of forgetting that the way that a business is successful is by creating a meaningful change in the eyes of someone else, in the eyes of a customer. And we forget that. So we often think about what's best for the business, what's best for ourselves, what is best for profit margins. How do I get through this hurdle? But if we can reframe how it's best for the customer and who that customer is, that's the first thing that we go back to in order to get the business back on track. So that's the first question that I ask them. So the second question that I ask is, if an entrepreneur is deciding on a new idea, or they're going in a new direction, or they're facing a tough decision, and the question that I ask them is, has the idea been tested in the form of sales? Has money been collected to validate to the idea? Most entrepreneurs validate their idea by going to friends and family, going to peers, even ask, even doing what would be normal market research in order to vet their idea or to get clarity on idea. But people are different when it comes to pulling out their wallets and buying. The way we really know if a business has legs or if an idea is going to be profitable is if people are paying for it. Now, on the internet, sites like Indiegogo and Kickstarter have opened up brand new opportunities for entrepreneurs 
because you can literally sell an idea before it's real. But before that, it was even the idea that you could collect a check for something before fulfilling a service. Are people willing to buy something based on the idea? In some ways, we could also scratch this itch by pitching investors. Are investors willing to put money into it based on the market size, based on the idea, based on the team that you have assembled? In other words, has your idea been vetted in the form of dollars? Have dollars been collected in order to validate your idea? That's the only form of validation that actually matters in the marketplace. Most people are assuming that if they get enough yeses, if they get enough people to get excited about something, that that, that is actually going to, to move the needle. It doesn't. Money is what uh, what ultimately determines whether or not your business is going to be successful. So that is question number two. Makes sense. And the third question? So you said type of people we talked about has been proven. So the third question that I would ask an entrepreneur that was that was validating whether or not they were going to build a seven-figure business is can we name at least three to five products that that person already buys? Can we name three to five products that that, that person is going to buy? Now, in question number one, we talked about that person. We looked at who that person is, how they identify. We use the example of CrossFit. We named four products that they might buy. And number two, we could look at, okay, they're already buying this, 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 and this. So in question three, can we identify those three to five products that that person is already buying? Because in that world, we could simply look at real examples of CrossFitters are already spending their money in these three to five areas because we need to have those three to five products selling at least 25 sales a day at that $30 price point. Most people will obsess over what that first product is going to be. I instead like to look at a bigger landscape, three to five products that person already buys. And then I'm going to look at, okay, which one of these five products might be the first one that my person is going to buy. If I am selling to yogis, people who do yoga, and I know that they buy yoga mats, yoga blocks, yoga towels, yoga clothes, and uh, tea, (laughs) I'm going to look at, okay, which of these five products are they probably going to buy first on their journey to be a proficient yogi? And I'm going to say yoga mat. Okay, cool. So a yoga mat is probably going to be the first product that they buy on that journey. And then they're going to buy a a yoga block. And then they might buy yoga clothes and on and on it goes from there. So I look at that entrepreneur and I I try to get them to relax their addiction to that first product and instead look at the total landscape of what that person buys. And then we look for the first product that that person would buy on that journey. Interestingly enough, I actually take part of CrossFit and I bought CrossFit and they sucked some time ago. And I would say the fifth or sixth product that, that I bought, I think runners were the first or Metcons as, as they're called in CrossFit. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just curious then for, for your book, did you follow a similar process when you were considering who's going to buy your book on Amazon? <laughs> My book is uh, through a traditional publisher. So it was a little bit of, of a different process. I will say this, my market is, is entrepreneurs and capitalists and I already speak to them 
in YouTube form and podcast form. And now we're adding that third product to the list, I guess, which is the written form. And that's, uh, that's the 12 months, 1 million book. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. How did you find the writing process for the book like versus podcasting or creating videos or courses or even creating products that you're selling on Amazon? You know what's funny is I have no problem firing up a microphone and talking all day. Uh, when you put it into the written word, I think it's Tim Ferriss who says uh, writing a book is like cutting yourself open on a piece of paper or bleeding onto a piece of paper uh, for nine months. And that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like there's a lot more judgment that goes into both how I approach my writing and, and the fact that it's like a finished product that I can't go back and edit uh, makes me feel heavier about the process. So it does feel like a life's work into, uh, you know, in, a, in 200 pages, which is both exciting and humbling at the same time. So the process has been fun. It feels really complete, but it also feels like birthing a small child all at the same time. That's a good metaphor. <laughs> And Ryan, like you strike me as somebody who you know has a lot of different business ventures, from writing a book to running capitalism.com and coaching and podcasting and so on. So, so kind of what do you know now about time management that you wish you'd known when you started your business? Hmm, about time management, there's actually several things that come to mind, Ryan. Um, when it comes to time management, the first thing is that not everything matters. In fact, most things don't matter. But when I am stressed, it seems like my to-do list gets longer. And vice versa, my, my to-do list gets longer. I get more stressed. I used to think that more was better. Getting more done was better. Accomplishing more tasks was better. But what I have found instead is nothing is ever really done. Things move forward. But managing multiple things, multiple projects, multiple tasks is actually counterproductive. Because I got into this game because I wanted a more fulfilling life. I love business. I enjoy business and I want to be in that process as part of my life. But we've all experienced moments in which our business feels like it takes up our life rather than the opposite. Our business is our life. Our business has taken over our life. We don't have a life anymore. There are certain things in business that we are better at doing than almost anyone in the world. And for me, it's communicating through written word and through spoken word. It's what I'm really good at. It's what I really enjoy doing. And every minute that I spend outside of that sweet spot is a colossal waste of my time. Now, there are still things that need to get done. There are still tasks on the list. But the truth of the matter is that I got into this game because I wanted to double down on my strengths, be rewarded for those strengths in the marketplace, and to enjoy the process of being, of being in that. And so that needs to become the 80% of our time. That needs to be the thing we do during the time we are fresh during the day, which is usually first thing when you are working until just after lunch. That's our sweet spot in terms of getting things done. And then it just seems that all of the things that are left can be fit into like a one to two hour period at the end of the day. So in terms of time management, more like energy management, the amount that you get done is in direct correlation to the energy that you have. And there's some activities that give you energy, and there are lots of activities that drain your energy. So for me, it has been about prioritizing the former and delegating or eliminating the things that don't give me that energy. More is not better. And I have a phrase that I really have uh, grown fond of, which is most of us got into this game because we wanted freedom, 
But freedom is the doing. Freedom is the doing of the thing that we want to be doing, of the things that give us energy. And in today's hustle culture, I think we forget that. I think we forget that the point of the process is to be in the process, not to be building something for a, a later date. That's what I wish somebody had told me about time management when I began. I, I like that. I like that. That's pretty good. And what about your early morning routine? Do you, do you have an ideal one? Yeah. So if I have an uninterrupted 60 minutes at the, the beginning of my day, it usually starts first thing in the morning. I'm, I'm going uh, through my, uh, my supplement routine, <laughs> which right now is uh, multivitamin, uh, fish oil, um, uh, metformin. Uh, what else is there? Vitamin D. So there's, there's my like, first thing I do in the morning. I actually immediately then go into a stretching routine. So I sit at a computer more than I would like. And I found that I, but I also work out every day. So I have a, a pretty intense stretching routine that I go through in order to um, break up tension in my hips and my lower back and my hamstrings, which have been built up over uh, sitting at a computer screen for way too many years, way too many hours, and way too many years. Um, Ideally, I would then go for a walk outside. I live, uh, I live out in nature, so getting a, a mile or two on a walk. And then coming back and doing a 10 to 20-minute meditation. I like the Sam Harris app, which is called Waking Up. And that's the, the meditation app that I personally use. And then I begin my day. And my day is usually front-loaded with some sort of creative activity right now that has been writing or it is recording a podcast, or it's making a video, or uh, something that, that gives me energy. So if, if I have nothing else going on, I might I might go live to my audience or write an email to my uh, my newsletter list. But there's some sort of creative pursuit because that's the, the activity that gives me energy. So that's usually how my day starts. So Ryan, where can people find you or your book online? Yeah, I have a podcast at capitalism.com. It's called The 1%. Or you can just look up my website, which is capitalism.com. Pretty much the easiest domain name for entrepreneurs to remember. And there we have a, a list of podcasts and videos about building businesses and investing the profit. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.